10 was special. Great quarterback play, tremendous high scoring games, defense extremely optional. So let's go game by game with Hayden Winks, John Daigle from 444, and to kick things off with Texans versus Bengals. 30 to 27. Houston conquers Cincinnati back to back games with final drive wins for rookie CJ Stroud. Hayden. There's no debate that he's not a top 10 NFL quarterback in the league right now. The question is, how close is he to the Justin Herbert tier? And that's what that was after this game as well. And it was the same story that's been for the last couple of weeks. It's the deep passes. It was the most creativity I've seen CJ Stroud have in the game. The in-pocket play, he was breaking out a contain and then throwing balls downfield. He's by far number one in EPA on deep targets. He had a nine different deep passes and this one completed down the field and it we're talking about without nico collins we're talking about backup wide receivers the top three skill players were all free agent pickups devin singletary noah brown and dalton schultz none of them got a lot of money here the skill group is not very good yet he goes out here with 356 yards it wasn't the cleanest game he did have a strip sack there was a fourth down conversion uh, where he fumbled the snap turnover on downs on that one. There was also a brutal interception late in the game where he just didn't see the sitting uh, defender, and that actually made this game a whole lot tighter. But this was just bomb after bomb because Joe Burrow is really keeping pace here. But at the end of the day, it was C.J. Stroud just making a couple more downfield passes, and that's been the biggest story to me for uh, this entire rookie class is C.J. Stroud he has the juice. He has the creative ability. You're not going to see it necessarily with scrambling, but you will see it with his time to throw and holding on to the ball so he can throw the ball downfield. So it's not like first yard gains with his legs, but he's breaking the pocket, getting outside, and just throwing absolute laser beams almost every single play. Yeah, I'm, I almost would push back on the no scrambles aspect because I know he's not leaving the pocket or going beyond the line of scrimmage, but there is plenty of creativity inside of structure and coming out of Ohio State. It was so easy to fall in love with the ball placement uh, at every level of the field. You know, we always talked about it, it was the face mask between the numbers, upfield shoulder, back shoulder. But other than that Georgia game and then the Northwestern game, you wondered how comfortable he would be in those moments where he did have to elevate the people around him. I did see roll left, you know, stutter right, mm -hmm. hit downfield targets, and I'm with you. Maybe to me what stood out the most in this game was the three turnovers that he did have and then forgetting all about those when you get to this final segment, the mm -hmm. final series, and even on like a second and long run that they had, hitting Noah Brown over the middle of the field, who, by the way, in back-to-back -back weeks is over 150 yards and is channeling some inner A.J. Brown at times with how he's <laughs> battling through contact and creating yeah. yards in his own. It is crazy to see a player that we've considered and still is a role player elevate his game in moments where they did in the last two weeks too. Brown played 71 career games now, and he's been over 100 yards twice. And it was, of course, the last two weeks, oddly enough. Well, I mean, he's playing the Nico Collins role. Like we talked about where he was basically leading the league in isolation routes and then also routes down the field over the middle. It was all, all these balls are always over the middle, like exactly what you're showing here. And, and real quick on that, because, you know, last week's episode of Scheme talked about with Colt what Bobby Slowick is doing so well with this Texans team. Look at where all of these routes are starting from. They're all tighter splits, and rarely are you going to see two Texans wide receivers 
outside the numbers. Maybe one is, or they're going to be lined up right on it. And it's because it gives you access to more parts of the field. It allows you to then confuse coverages. And if you break it outside, if you work it back inside, if you condense the defense in on the interior, then you have more space again to work with towards the sideline rather than starting with the space and then condensing it from there. This is just so smart and it's mm-hmm. so well executed. And on top of this, Hayden, we added last week that this pass pro unit, despite being reshuffled, was giving, you know, CJ Stroud 3.35 seconds to throw. Did the run blocking finally gel here because it's been horrific yeah. all season long and we get 30 carries for Devin Singletary for 150 yards and one score averaging five yards a pop yeah it was a consistent production from there and we did go back to where it was the rest of the season most of their drives I think it was like only like 13 of their 36 series started with a pass play it was mostly run on first down and then get CJ Stroud cooking but all these deep passes they can actually afford for us, their drives to be with second and seven off of a bad run because they can still play the ball. Obviously, we would like to see more pass attempts from them, but this is what it is. And by the way, Nate Tice had this stat. The Texans this last week had 17 explosive plays. That was the fourth most explosive plays in an offensive game since 2000. So that's the level of play we're talking about with CJ Stroud right now. It's something they still need to get away from because yes. we now can confirm CJ Stroud is the truth. We got to that point. But now how do you develop him further? You get away from run, run, pass. I'm fine with run, run, run if you are suddenly in a third and short situation. But the run, run, pass, they're only beating it because CJ Stroud is so damn good. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned today, Hayden, only a 22% pass play rate on first and second downs. It's not good enough. We still can make this situation much better. So it's early and they're getting by. And I would hope that's something they improve as we move along since they're showing like they could mess around and maybe be a wild card contender. Totally. I mean, we're only nine games into the season for the Houston Texans and CJ Stroud. And Hayden, again, I think almost resetting where people thought of CJ Stroud prior to the NFL draft is already warranted because of a play like this, where we never saw this at Ohio State. It's a touchdown run just of seven or eight yards, but he sees that, hey, I'm going to get to my back foot and I know that the coverage is going to run away with my guys. And there's just an opening and I'm just going to take off. I'm going to make this decision immediately in less than 2.5 seconds and run for it and score a touchdown. And again, this is just an aspect to where he's already playing at a higher level and already playing with so much confidence. And that matters so much. I mean, that that really does change the way the season can go with a bunch of mm-hmm. new guys, a bunch of new staff members. And Hayden, this was, uh, to me, evident after like week two when they were 0-2 in the season. Like we thought they could be frisky. We're already here through nine games and they're beyond frisky. Definitely frisky. And just on the other side of the ball, we did have Jamar Chase coming in was looked totally fine to me. He has a really long touchdown. I believe it was like a 60-yard touchdown. Uh, yeah, 64-yard touchdown where it was actually a broken play scramble drill on the other side where Joe Burrow was showing a little bit of mobility as well. Jamar Chase like works underneath by some time, and then obviously, obviously he breaks between the safeties for a broken play touchdown from there. But Joe Burrow, to start this game off, hit an absolute laser beam, the cover two honey hole shot to the corner of the end zone to Trenton Irwin to get him going for the DFS people out there. Uh, we also have Joe Mixon getting in the red zone. So the, the Bengals offense was moving the ball uh, with some explosives as well. Tyler Boyd had a 64-yard reception as well. So I thought Joe Burrow looked totally fine. There was a little bit of an injury scare in the middle of the game where it looked mm. like he was limping around a little bit. You couldn't tell if that was because of the calf or just like 
you know, you're playing in the NFL and somebody lands on you. But by the end of the game, you all, you had already forgot about that because this Bengals offense was rolling. They just ran into a buzzsaw of which is CJ Stroud. And it's actually pretty frightening that CJ Stroud, a rookie, can go toe to toe with a healthy Joe Burrow right now. But obviously, they did miss T. Higgins. And Tyler Boyd's 30.7% target share could have resulted in an even better day. It just came down to that drop touchdown on one of their last drives, which yes. ultimately cost them the game, unfortunately. I mean, it was the last drive. And yeah. to your last point, Daigle, it changed the entire scope and complexion of what the final series had to be for the Houston Texans, right? Because it was a perfect ball on the face mask to previously consistent and reliable Tyler Boyd. And that would have put the Bengals up by four points, meaning yeah. the Texans with what a minute to go, a minute 20 with one timeout in their pocket would have had to score a touchdown rather than settle for a 40 yard field goal or whatever. And so just that drop, yes, it ties the game and maybe you can stop your opponent. But again, the difference in a draw and a field goal versus chasing four points and having to go the length of the field, 75 yards. And at least we can count on, as Hayden mentioned, Devin Singletary being an every-touch option, a touch-based option, whenever Damian Pierce is out. Because now these past two weeks, 46 of 49 backfield touches. They don't go to anyone else in that span. Yep, and Dario Gumbawale, special teams player of the week last week, absolutely <laughs> lit guy. somebody up <laughs> on kick guy. return. I mean, lit him up. Oh, I absolutely love it. And I mean, again, this is even more impressive when you consider that I believe the Bengals have now gone something like five straight games with uh, opening drive touchdown. Yeah, five straight games with opening drive touchdown. So they're even in a good place, you know, Thursday night's going to be hot. I'm excited for a Thursday night game for the first time ever. I just wanted to mention this last thing. We spent stats versus film breaking down this Lou Anarumo defense and how complicated it is and how veteran it is, the simulated pressures, all the things that they can do on this defense. Not at one point was CJ Stroud confused or anything like that. The only time was that interception. Really, it was just kind of not on the same page with that. He did have two uh, fumbles. Were those just you know, back, back pressures back, and those types yeah, of things? Trip yeah, sack, and then there's like a fourth, fourth and one, just like fumble out of the snap. So, yeah. Browns versus Ravens. This was one of those games where I had to go back and rewatch the highlights to figure out how the Ravens lost 31 to 33 on their home turf because it couldn't have started any better for them. I mean, second play of the game, pick six by Deshaun Watson. Uh, Kyle Hamilton is hovering near the line of scrimmage. He elevates, tips it up to himself, literally walks it in. 14-0 Ravens on the next series, less than five minutes into the game. Keaton Mitchell's first touch, first touch of the contest, 39-yard touchdown. It was a draw that was, you know, almost a beautiful drop back and then, boom, handed off, and there's just this canyon of space to the left side. 22 in the Browns is closing, angle destroyed. 23 in the Browns is closing, angle destroyed. Keaton Mitchell hat is on, like, the Devon Achan Jamal McLaughlin spectrum of speed, and it's like these Cleveland Browns defenders had no idea and had never seen it before. And he is off to the races. It is seventeen to nine at halftime after three Browns field goal drives. But let me repeat: Deshaun Watson was six of twenty at halftime for seventy-nine yards and an interception, six carries for eighteen yards. Granted, we had a Devin Joku drop in there. So again, how could this turn around in the Browns' favor, especially when you consider right after halftime? The Ravens make it 24 to nine when we get the vintage Odell Beckham man coverage slant that he takes to the house for 40 yards. We haven't seen that in feels like two plus years. 
So 24 to nine. Now it's 31 to 17 after the Browns have a 17 play drive. Ravens go three and out, but they even get even more help because James Prochet, who is now a Clevelander, muffs the punt. Ravens score again on top of that. It should be over. Well, in the fourth quarter, Deshaun Watson really has his best 15 minutes of his Cleveland Browns career. He throws a second and 17 dart to Amari Cooper. David Njoku rumbles for a huge gain. Second and goal from a 10. Deshaun Watson escapes the Ravens rush, dumps it off to Elijah Moore for a touchdown. Second play of the next series. Lamar skies it off Obo Okoronko's helmet. Greg Newsom returns it for six. The Browns still miss the extra points. So they're down 31 to 30. Yes, the Ravens still have a chance. But eight minutes ago, they can't convert a third and 14. So again, we get four minutes to go. Deshaun Watson leads the team down for a game-winning field goal drive, which again includes another fantastic scramble where he climbs the pocket, is tackled high. Ravens have scored 30-plus points in four straight games, but this one ends in a loss, and it feels like John Harbaugh and his Ravens team have like two or three of these wonky ones you can't describe every single season. This one blew my mind. It seemed like that they were so far ahead, I had no idea. Was there any like running back rotation i think that was kind of like where i was most curious about like i think i saw gus bus at the end zone for yeah i mean we we can go into the details of that for sure because like gus edwards leads it but then again the first touch that keaton mitchell has goes for 39 yards and then on his second touch it's a 32 yard screen pass that is like (laughs) perfectly diagrammed where it's again play action they move all five offensive linemen to the left side along the left sideline, and Keaton Mitchell catches it and again runs and follows his blockers. But then after that, he was stuffed. We did get a Gus Bus vintage, uh, to use that word again, um, goal line touchdown a bit later on. It's one of those games, again, just for fantasy drafters. 31 points for the Ravens. Yes, it included a pick six. But Lamar Jackson only attributed with 223 yards on 13 completions, one touchdown, two interceptions, just Mm -hmm. eight carries for 41 yards. So, like, we continue to see these 30-plus games for the Ravens, and it matters nothing for Lamar Jackson's fantasy football status. It's the full Keaton Mitchell experience in 24% of snaps, three touches, RB17 on the week right now. (laughs) He, He did totally early on eclipse Justice Hill. Justice Hill got a couple like late stuff, especially in the second half, including like, I believe it was some, maybe a carry or two inside the 10 yard line. Um, But I think that they know what they have in their hands with Keaton Mitchell. And if we go back to, you know, the dialogue that they used heading into the season with Todd Monk and we want explosive, we want running backs who can catch the ball. To me, it's clear that the 24% might grow to like 30 or 33%. And he can have one explosive play per game. I will say Zay Flowers, you know, six, five for 73 yards doesn't sound like a lot, but we did get some deeper routes. We got his usual catch it, turn on a dime, put my hand down, make you miss in the open field. It just makes no sense how they lose this game. No sense because Deshaun was awful in the first half. You know, it was the same thing of dropping his eyes. There was no timing. It felt like no rhythm of this offense, but in the second half, it, it all worked out and shout out to Jerome Ford who had an awesome game and it might not show up with 17 carries for 178 yards, but against a Ravens defensive front and linebacker unit, that was really exceptional stuff. And it looked like it was going to work from the first series all the way to the last series. So to me, I know that Kareem Hunt finishes with that goal line touchdown, but we know what this Browns backfield is going to be with Jerome Ford being the pass catcher and the explosive runner. And then Kareem Hunt being the closer near the goal line. 
And you still get 63% of the team's running back carries for Jerome Ford, which is his highest mark in a game with Kareem Hunt. So it's clear how they want to use him. He just has an annoying Hunt problem in that, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, they do love to use Hunt inside the five-yard line. So that's really what's the only thing taking away from Jerome Ford. And yes, Zay Flowers, team-high 26% target share, also had that one missed deep shot Lamar overthrew him on when he broke wide open down the boundary. Yep. Josh, how was Deshaun Watson's ankle like moving forward? How could we spin that? So, man, it felt like because he also got driven to the ground another time was like rolling his shoulder. And then mm-hmm. just before halftime, he goes to the locker room early. It was like a tackle that was low or someone fell into it. So like it hit his shin. I know he was in the media session after the game and a walking boot. But he did have some runs and some scrambles all the way down into that final drive. So I don't know if that was morphine or adrenaline. And he was just like playing through it, you know, but he he definitely was. And I just wanted to bring up this passing chart because what Kevin Stefanski was doing so well was moving Roquan Smith in the middle of the field, either with David and Joku or another like uh, tight split player. And then as soon as Roquan leaves that area, they would just put Amari Cooper in these sections uh, and then allow him to win a little bit after the catch on top of it. So Omari was basically filling the gap that Roquan was leaving over the middle of the field. Do you want something more out of your quarterback who has a fully guaranteed contract? Absolutely. A lot left to be desired, desired so far with his season and the deal. But at the same time, the defense is so good that the way he played in the second half as a game manager who still makes some exceptional plays like his scrambling touchdown he had, it's good enough. For this team, honestly, as long as he doesn't screw it up like he's been doing, this team will be just fine. Again, this was a juggernaut team. Totally. They just beat however they did so. Like Aaron Schatz and his DVOA numbers has the Ravens the third best DVOA of all time. Like they're a legit Super Bowl contender and the Browns just knocked them off. Yeah, I mean, they were on a four game winning streak before this. And maybe this team, if Deshaun Watson is healthy for the next one, again, can stack that this was his best quarter as a Cleveland Brown in, yeah. in the final section of this. And again, I, I want to reiterate that even no matter what game you watch the Cleveland Browns, like Deshaun's timing doesn't feel right. The rhythm of it, Hayden, you know, it, it feels because Kevin Stefanski, it, it's all about been about timing routes and, you know, when the pass is thrown, but it felt like it kind of was in sync or he knew when to tuck it and we knew when to run it the most. Um, man, I mean, th- this is a huge win for the Browns because again, it takes them instead of five and four, up to six and three. And for the next games, I mean, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's winnable. Denver Broncos. That's winnable Rams. That is winnable. So huge hurdle that they had to overcome for sure. Falcons versus Cardinals. Daigle. Talk to me. A fourth quarter final drive. Also comeback. three in a row. We have here this time by Kyler Murray reentering our lives, 19 of 32, 249 yards, one interception, but add another 33 rushing yards and one touchdown coming off his knee injury. The Cardinals go three and out to begin the game. So you don't, you start worrying just a hair, but it was actually bizarro Kyler Murray and that the leg was just fine. 
The scrambling was there. Even faking a handoff to James Conner from the six-yard line and tucking and running in himself, he extended so many plays in this game outside of the pocket. Where he lacked, which I didn't expect, was still knocking the rust off in the passing game. He'll go down as a low-end QB1 right now until primetime. He's the QB11 overall because of that rushing score and the extra 9.3 points he tacked on with his legs. But in this one, even in the first half, he missed Marquise Brown wide open in the end zone for what would have been a 30-yard touchdown. The real magic happened where he became Kyler again on the last drive. Third and 10, he has a 13-yard scramble, which is him being a squirrel. Starts on one side of the pocket, does hits the circle button, does laps, and then runs to the outside and picks up the first down and like the most important play of the game. And then after that, he wings a prayer downfield to Trey McBride in double coverage. The safety's trailing him. And McBride just throws his cornerback out of the way and picks up a 33-yard gain to set up the Cardinals for a short field goal at the end, which did ultimately amount to the, the Falcons now losing three consecutive games to Will Levis in his first career start, Josh Dobbs in his game off the bench, and now <laughs> Kyler Murray in his first start in 360 days. Uh, I think the interesting note, which makes a lot of sense here, probably something that won't go away, is that there was a situation where the Cardinals and Jonathan Gannon did put in Clayton mm. Toon for a tush-push touchdown, but that's also because, just think about the size of these individuals. Yeah. Clayton Toon is 6'3", 220 pounds. Like, why every team doesn't do this with their tight end, their running back, or their backup quarterback still befuddles me because this is how you score points and move the chains. But overall, it, outside of the arm, which again will come around, I thought he looked healthy. Uh, okay. Even Trey McBride here now, a 29% target share in this one, becomes the first Cardinals tight end to eclipse 100 yards since 1989. And over his last three games without Zach Ertz, McBride has a 30.8% target share. I was wondering if he could hang around, and he's Certainly did. He kept a name for himself here. So honestly, kind of everything you wanted to see outside of Marquise Brown not getting there on his deep shots. Right now, Trey McBride's fourth in the league, not among tight ends, fourth in the league in targets per route run. So, wow. I mean, it's if Kyler Murray could figure out some of the accuracy and playing in time, and by the way, there's a brand new offense. There's like nothing like yeah. the, the air raid offense. So that we should expect this thing to get better over time uh trey mcbride's in a very good spot marquis brown obviously even now like you said just missed that touchdown but this team very clearly wants to win they could easily told prater to kick that field goal into the the the, the stands if they wanted to lose this game and keep their their draft pick high but they want to win they're actually out they're already to number three in the draft order and the giants aren't going to win another game this year so they're trying to win with kyle murray to what they got which is good news for kyler marquis brown james connor and now trey mcbride other things that we learned with James Conner, who also came back from injury, 16 yeah. carries for him. All other running backs combined for three carries. Um, so at least we have back the every down role of Captain James Conner. On the opposite end, Daigle, there's a lot going on with the Atlanta Falcons. You went through the last three losses that they have on their record. Um, here, a quarterback change is made, I believe, because of a hamstring injury to Taylor Heineke. But yes. before he leaves, he was only 8 of 15. For 55 Correct. yards and one score, taking three sacks. And then Ritter comes in, four or six for 39 yards, including a rushing touchdown on top of that. This is probably the door that opens it back up, injury or not, for Desmond Ritter to re-return as the uh, starting quarterback of this team. And Heineke, before he left, too, was the gunslinger he typically is. Like last week, a couple drop picks that probably should have gone the other way. Was moving the chains with his legs. I think the... 
important part people probably want to hear is that in a week where Arthur Smith shaved his mustache, we thought there would be a changing of the guard. And the first two plays out of the game were two consecutive carries to Bijan Robinson, who does finish with a season high 22 carries. He gets the touchdown inside the five yard line as well. Uh, he has his highest target share since week four, also his highest share of the team's backfield touches 60% since week four, which yes is better over the last month. We still wanted to grow a lot more than that, but so far it's the, it's the little changing of the guard that we need probably as much as Arthur Smith will actually capitulate to us. So we take it, we're fine with it, but really the passing game doesn't get there in the end, whether it's Heineke or Ritter coming off the bench. It does line up uh, the athletics Diana Rossini. She posted that the Falcons plan to ramp up Bijan's touches later in the season. They wanted him to be healthy for the playoffs. Well, part of the you have to get to the playoffs. I will right. warn the Falcons, uh, but I would not be surprised if it is Bijan getting more goal and opportunity. We can erase Tyler Algier from fantasy status, in my opinion, aside from the bench hold. I think we can imagine a place where Bijan Robinson could end up flirting with like top five, top six fantasy running back numbers down the stretch if this trend does continue. And Bijan did run just one fewer route than Drake London for the team lead. So he was out there for his usual 80 plus percent pass catching role. Speaking of the playoffs and how poetic this segment of the season is, Daigle next week, the Atlanta Falcons now four and six, third in the NFC South, where there is no NFC South team with a winning record at this moment. Next, get the New Orleans Saints, who will also be starting a new quarterback, most likely, in Jameis Winston. So, could they go four for four with new quarterbacks that take the field with losses? And this one being extremely pivotal to probably, other than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their biggest challengers in the Saints. <laughs> it's it's always like, um, should we call it a horror film right now with the Atlanta Falcons? Like, it, it, it whereas, can't get worse in the moment. Whereas the AFC South became fun. Yep. Uh, the NFC South remains not fun. Yep. 49ers versus Jaguars. I mean, both these teams had five and six wins entering the game, Hayden, but the 49ers smoke the Jaguars 34 to three, improving to six and three on the season. Everybody got involved here except Christian McCaffrey doesn't score a touchdown snapping that straight. They tried, by the way, in the very <laughs> end of the game on a fourth down. Very clear uh, attempt for Christian McCaffrey. Does not get it done. So let's go uh, player by player. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, he gets the game started with a scramble drill uh, touchdown in the end zone. We have a, a bootleg action to Brock Purdy, who throws a ball up. Definitely a turnover-worthy play. Also a big-time throw, depending on how you want to grade that one. Either way, Brandon Ayuk comes down with it. Debo Samuel gets involved early. We had a pitch play from the running back spot. We had bubble screens. We have an end around touchdown that he ultimately gets in the end zone, but really the play of the game and what this next gen stats passing chart was, was we have man coverage with George Kittle and he makes a move downfield. Brock Purdy has one of the most insane pump fakes to keep the middle of the field safety uh, over the middle and absolutely gets drilled when he's about to throw this ball. Beautiful pass downfield for George Kittle, who walks into the end zone. Nobody around him. But that was the difference. Brock Purdy was just not missing on anything downfield. They were aggressive with that. And Jacksonville, who dares teams to throw the ball, learn the hard way when it's you're trying to guard Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk downfield. So it was just a very clean game. Great bounce back game coming out of the bye. And just kind of shows you the difference of where Jacksonville is versus what a, like a true Super Bowl contending team is. 
Uh, as a reminder, Jacksonville's only scored three points against the 49ers. And then when they played the Chiefs earlier this season, they only scored nine of them. So it's not as drastic as the Dolphins, but we also don't see the upside that from this offense that we do see with Miami. But whenever they play a really good team, their offense is just not showing up. I and I like the 49ers offense and battle Royals and DFS today, if only because the Jaguars defense has been overrated all year long. The mm. metrics just don't align with what's happening behind the scenes, which is why I think EPA has been lying all along about them. And even today, we know that Brock Purdy came into this one leading the league and leading in yards per attempt and completion rate when not under pressure from a clean right. pocket. And even today, given that the Jaguars were 25th in pressure rate, 17 of 19 when not pressure for Purdy today for 241 yards and two touchdowns. So I never considered the Jaguars a real threat for the 49ers here. It is funny, though, that now with Trey Williams back, with Debo Samuel back, uh, George Kittle still kind of the same thing where he only has a 14 and a half percent target share but because he's george kittle you get to ride the 70 yard touchdown roller coaster and he still leads the team in receiving on that low of opportunity yep. because he's george kittle yeah this was that rare 49ers game where everyone got home in a way like i know christian yeah. mccaffrey didn't score but he got 95 rushing yards and six receptions 47 yards we talked about george kittle 116 yards in a score brandon 55 yards in a score and then debo samuel obviously gets home with a rushing touchdown but on top of that just just 59 well, total yards boy did they try to get christian mccaffrey to they score. did they kept them I'm, in there with all of the backups of the last game since he had 17 touchdowns in consecutive games yeah. uh and ultimately he did not get there yeah kyle talked about it in his post-game press oh, conference uh he said oh yeah because 18 is a sweet record we were doing our best and then reporters asked uh well even if we were going to ask you and he got injured at the end he's like well i don't make my decisions based on what you're going to ask me at the end of the game um and then he even said doug pearson knew what i was trying to do and said yeah on their handshake I know you're trying to get CMC to touchdown. It's all good yeah. because that, I mean, that, that was, you know, running up the scoreboard, just trying to get, you know, 23, a touchdown. Yeah. He was in there with Ronnie Bell and Charlie Warner. Like, <laughs> yeah. of, of course, everyone knew who the ball was going to. Yeah. Um, okay. We need to talk about the Jaguars. Yes, we do. For a moment. We do. Yes. Because it's a weird team. They are six and three. And as you said, they are this weird defense where they have outwardly spoken about, we want to stuff the run and give you the passing game. Mm -hmm. You don't hear that across the league, right? And then now when this Jaguars offense doesn't do its job, when talking about Travis Etienne, nine carries for 35 yards, Trevor Lawrence, 17 of 29 for 185 yards, two interceptions and five sacks. Is this just a case where the offensive line couldn't hold up and then there was so much pressure or is more going on below the surface than the six and three record might indicate? There were about five or six plays where both Chase Young and Bosa were collapsing the pocket and things were over immediately. There's actually one play, which is pretty funny, that there's a strip stack on Trevor Lawrence where both Bosa and Chase Young get there at the same exact time, which must be super frustrating because the Jaguars were trying to trade for uh, right. Chase Young. And of course, now you're getting your own quarterback strip sack. To me, though, there, there are some underlying things that do scare me a little bit. This team does not throw the ball over the middle and deep downfield very often at all. And like that's what happened here. Everything is like kind of schemed up underneath. That's why like Evan Ingram and Travis Etienne have been like focal points. We've seen Christian Kirk work underneath. And I think it's there's either two things at, at play here. Either Trevor Lawrence is not taking as many shots as what we kind of thought he would and like what his arm strength would allow him to do, or the outside wide receivers are really bad. 
And it's been really bad for Calvin Ridley recently. He left the first half of this game without a target, barely showed up in the box score at all here. We're getting nothing downfield or on the sideline uh, once again. And it's been pretty concerning with, with that, just because like you're comparing like the CJ Stroud performances, balls over the middle, deep downfield, aggressive all the time. You just don't get that with the Trevor Lawrence stuff very often. Daigle, I think I'm at a point where uh, Hayden is comparing CJ Stroud to every single NFL starting quarterback already. Well, I, well, right now it's in this division, and we thought that this division was a it's, wrap, and that Trevor Lawrence was the guy well, in this division. It is changing fast. I put out a, I put out a poll: who's better? And it was like 90% CJ Stroud. Obviously, we have some recency bias, but like, watch these two guys play. Like, it's shocking how few games Trevor Lawrence has where he's like a fantasy superstar. I went back at it; he only has one game over 350 passing yards. CJ Stroud just did that for the third time in his career. One game it's, over 350 passing yards. What's up with but that? But just quickly, on the opposite side, Brock Purdy, you know, four passes right out of the middle field, 20-plus yards, just like CJ Stroud does it, right? Sure. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's fine. This offense actually does. You know why? Slowick, Shanahan, throw the ball over the middle of the field. I'm just saying it's weird how it's like all of just like mesh, screen, yeah. Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk in the flat. It's just different like, minds, I think, doing it. I know. You know? And, but one's and, good and one's bad. It's also like Abbott Egram doesn't have a single end zone target on the entire season. So like he also lacks the ceiling that everyone perceives he has on the year. Trevor Lawrence hasn't finished higher than a QB 10 in any game this year. He's been bad for fantasy. Yeah. He's like the one name I struggle with. Uh, Cause you know, we were all asked so many Kyler Murray start sit questions. And I just said, you don't need to risk it. Like when Gino's in an amazing spot, Sam Howe's in an amazing spot. Levis didn't ultimately get there. Uh, Brock Purdy was in an amazing spot. Why risk it? You just don't have to do it. But Lawrence was the one I was like, you know, he's been bad anyway. So maybe yeah. you should start Kyler over him. Uh, now, I, I do quickly want to bring up the 49ers end of this though. And I didn't get to watch this game, but this is just mm -hmm. me thinking about it. Maybe anecdotally a little bit. Um, it, it's one of those units that yes, they were struggling prior to the bye, but you do have a bye week to kind of reset, get Chase Young a bit more acclimated, maybe get some guys a bit healthier, figure out with your new defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, who was brought in from outside the building and figure out what works, right? Because this is on paper, even with what the maybe problems they might have on outside corner, one of the best units in the league. And so to me, it is not a surprise, despite what the stats might indicate prior to the bye, that they turned around and shut down their opponent. And I should have probably thought about that a bit more heading into this game. Well, this team can tackle and they have Fred Warner in the middle of the field, right. taking away a bunch of zone passes. And that's where the Jacksonville offense likes to kind of dink and dunk their way. And that's, it's just weird because that's what this offense feels like, but they have Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback that is capable of making big plays down the field. You just don't see it. So I hope it's not just like these outside wide receivers are no good. And that includes Calvin Ridley, who's been so inconsistent. He's had two explosive plays in the last four games. Um, that's a problem. That's without Zay Jones. Um, so it's just been an issue there, but one of the interceptions, like a fourth and 15, don't care about that game. The, the game was basically over at that point. It was just the like consistency play by play by play. It wasn't just like a bunch of turnovers that cost them. It was just every single play seemed like it was going to go nowhere. And yeah. it's been like that for a little bit. And the, the defense has been good and the offense has been average at best like before this game trevor lawrence was like 14th in epa so mm -hmm. things are just not lining up how we thought a team that a, could like, a be second taken. year doug peterson lead. yeah after yeah. seeing what like they did to the chargers in the playoffs everyone gets super right. excited and we, we're not at that place at all now 
Last year, Jacksonville's kind of started this way and then got really hot at the end. There's a chance we get to that, but I don't know who's going to show up and all of a sudden make make the answers to the test. Our buddy John Shipley said this is the second time this year the Jaguars have been held without a touchdown at home. Um, the Not last sure. time that happened was 2018 when it was Blake Bortles and Cody Kessler at quarterback. So kind of speaks to what you're saying. Lions versus Chargers. Not very often that we get a 41 to 38 game between two NFL teams. So how do we get there? Well, both combine seven of eight on fourth down attempts in this game. And it really turned into a showcase of Ben Johnson versus Kellen Moore. Because at times it felt like both defenses got a couple red cards and were playing with nine men. Um, how we open this game. Jameer Gibbs get a toss play for 11 yards, then a stretch play all the way to the right side that he veers all the way back left to the empty area of the field for 35 yards out at the one yard line. Uh, Noah, who runs the social accounts for underdog pointed out, and I don't, I can't confirm this, but pointed out that Jameer Gibbs was going to run off the field. Dave Montgomery says, no, you stay on. They score on the next play. So seven, nothing lions. Then Kirby Joseph with a sweet sideline pick by Justin Herbert uh, fourth and five conversion by Dave Montgomery picks it up on a tough run who freaking runs the ball up the middle with a running back on fourth and five, the Detroit Lions it was do. wild. It and was then wild. follow it up yes. with a fourth and one Amon Ross St. Brown who shifts from slot wide receiver down to fullback in a three point stance offset, then hand off from Jared Goff under center easily converts that. And then he gets down to the one yard line on the next series. Back to back goal line carries for Dave Montgomery. He gets stuffed, and then Jared Goff throws it away on fourth and goal. I don't know. There's so many things to talk about here. Like, <laughs> we can even just shift over to like the 17 to three point with the Lions, where I'm sure people out there want to know about this Jameer Gibbs usage because he dominated the first quarter in the first half. He had four straight opportunities inside of the 10 yard line, was stuffed twice, third down, like kind of drops a target a little bit, and they run it again with him on fourth down. So what we already get is different usage than what we previously saw prior to the injury with Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, like we all expected. Um, Twitter is a blaze of Dave Montgomery down and out, down and out. And all he does after that, take the lines up 24 to 10 with a 75 yard touchdown run. He makes two chargers at the fourth level run into each other, both safeties and then skips along the sideline and score the touchdown on top of that. But in the end, I mean, Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen were so special in this game. And I know it's a another fourth quarter loss and final drive. I'm not going to say failed comeback from Justin Herbert because they ended this game with four or five straight touchdown drives. What more can you do? And without Justin Herbert playing to this level, there was no way that this team was going to even be in it. And so rather than criticize a quarterback for not helping his team or allowing his team or, you know, they just came up short and Herbert is just their quarterback. It's because of him that they were able to get this moment. And to me, all of that negative energy needs to be shoved in the direction of Brandon Staley because we just talked about that Jaguars comeback uh, in the playoffs last year. And here we get it again where he just like has no answers for a great opposing offensive play caller and his team just loses because of it's also not Herbert's fault that the lions also went for it on fourth down to end the game. Yep, uh, yep. So Dan Campbell could walk it off. Like that's not Herbert's problem. He was great yeah. today. 
He he was incredible. It, like there were some sick throws where, I mean, maybe the best one was they ran this bubble and they've run it in previous weeks too to Darius Davis. And so he pumped the bubble and then Jalen Guyton, because by the way, Mike Williams is out. Joshua Palmer's out. Keen Allen, despite having 11 catches for 175 yards and two touchdowns, was in and out of the medical tent in this game. So Jalen Guyton at one point was this team's number one receiver. And Herbert just missiles this pass through two closing safeties. And just the ball placement that he had, again, started with an interception, but closed at 27 of 40, 323 yards and four scores. Yeah, even I Gerald w- Everett was in and out of the lineup as well. Like my, my, my big takeaway here is, this is the third most expensive defense the Chargers have, and they suck. Eric Kendricks in the middle of the field was just chasing guys, looked pretty big out there, has no business chasing guys down like that. The safeties are like 20 yards back, and they can't stop the run. They're nowhere to be found. Derwin James isn't having a good season. They actually have a really strong trio of edge rushers, and it doesn't matter because this linebacker, safety, and cornerback group is a stone-cold disaster, and like what we talked about with, with Jacksonville, the, the teams that can throw the ball over the middle or run the ball on them absolutely can expose them with big explosive plays. And that was basically the story here. Hayden, this was the play that you were referring to with Eric Kendricks chasing. It's just, it's awesome design. And I know it looks so simple with dots, but once again, Ben Johnson is the freaking man. He's the one guy that doesn't come from the McVay, Shanahan, Tree, McDaniel, anything else. And yet he takes and plucks from them and adds his own little pizzazz plus power running up the middle. It's sweet. Anyways, play action to Dave Montgomery and you just get all this flow, all of this flow against zone coverage again with two routes, Jamison Williams, who despite having just two catches for 18 yards, looked his most comfortable out there, had a huge block on the Dave Montgomery yeah, 75 yard touchdown, had a 10 yard touchdown that was called back very early on in this game. So to me, he is earning more reps on top of it. And again, because both those guys push off coverage, you just have six chasing little boy, Khalif Raymond all the way down the field. And it ends up being a 40 yarder. I mean, this is just great design, just tricking defenses and getting the matchup exactly what you want. Jameson Williams out of the buy season high, 54% route participation, yep. not the other one for him as well. No Donovan people's Jones today either. So many thoughts. Let's start with the big picture for Detroit because I'm still very concerned about them in the playoffs because they have been tested three times now and their defense has been walked over in all Mm. three tests. Geno Smith in week two with 328 and two touchdowns. Lamar had over 300 yards and three touchdowns. And today, Justin Herbert, 330 and four touchdowns. I don't know if you can compete with that in the playoffs when we're trying to take you seriously. You know what? That's very fair because... I think we all remember that Chiefs game where they shut down the Chiefs in week one. And at the time, no was like, holy crap, they beat the Super Bowl champions without Travis Kelsey. And we have yeah. seen the Chiefs since then struggle in <laughs> second rounds and, yeah. and not be able to score touchdowns. And then the other teams that they have beaten so far this year in terms of offenses, the Atlanta Falcons, the Green Bay Packers, the Carolina Panthers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Las Vegas Raiders. And then now they did beat the Chargers, but they allowed 38 points on top of it. I mean, I, I at least Daigle, at least when you do give up points and you give up yards. And I do think their front seven is better than it has been in the past. The mm-hmm. injuries, obviously the secondary really suck, but yeah. I think Dan Campbell in a way understands this. And yes. this is why he's so aggressive on fourth down. Yep. Point two of three. I will be moving David Montgomery down the rest of season rankings. Cause I think why? he was a, lo- a loser today. Uh, 
in two full games with Jameer Gibbs this year, Dave Montgomery hadn't handled less than 75% of their backfield touches. He was at 46% today. He hadn't handled less than 75% of their running back care. Oh, I'm sorry, 75% of their carries and 70% of their touches. Didn't dip below those numbers. And today he was at 46% and 41%. Uh, the shares favored Gibbs heavily. So before Hayden dives into this, sure. I think there's a couple ways of looking at it. I think they basically went series for series. Yes. And... So when you get a long 75 yard touchdown, that will mm -hmm. take away the opportunities that you have, right? Or okay. if there are pass plays on top of it that then get explosives down the field, then you're going to lose opportunities. Um, yes, I really think that this is now a split backfield, which is what we expected coming out of it. Now, is it the typical Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift backfield that we saw last year? It doesn't seem like that anymore. It seems series by series. Um, I I do think long-term though, Daigle, and hey, maybe you can just tell me if I'm an idiot or after rewatching this in Stats versus Film on Tuesday. I think that <laughs> maybe in the long run, we will still see David Montgomery get short yardage touches. Like they will probably replace Jameer Gibbs in those situations, yeah. even though they mm -hmm. didn't today. But at the same time, we will get more Jameer Gibbs receptions. We will get more mm -hmm. Jameer Gibbs explosive plays. To me, at the end of this, with where the running back two spectrum is at the moment and where the Lions are with scoring points every single week with a great offensive line and a good passing game, both of these guys are top 12 to top 15 running backs on any given week. I completely agree. I think if I had to guess who's going to finish with more goal line opportunities, it would be David Montgomery. But at the same time, who's going to rip off more explosive plays? Most exactly. likely, Jameer Gibbs. It just was hilarious how opposite it was this game. Jameer gets still working out the kinks here. I haven't watched this entire game, but PFF had him with two drops as well. So we're working through this thing, but the explosiveness just based off this offensive line and Ben Johnson as well. Like to, I'm with you. These guys have upside for days. And I think that both of them belong like the top, I would say top 10 to top 15, depending on the buys. I should add more context because when I say we lose David Mon or the David Montgomery is the loser, the fact was previously David Montgomery was all that mattered in the backfield and Jameer yes. Gibbs was just wasting time there. Totally. But because of Jameer Gibbs' last two games before this one, he played himself into a timeshare. So yes, moving Montgomery back to me, a middle of the road, low end RB2, but that still means he's startable every single week. I think the backfield that we continue to compare it to is last year's Lions backfield in a way where someone on Twitter pointed this out to me. Maybe we should compare it to the 2017 Saints, which I believe Dan Cable was a part of that offense with the hmm. Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara backfield a little bit more where, I mean, both those guys were top 12, top 15 on a weekly basis. I mean, Mark Ingram scored 12 rushing touchdowns, had uh, like 15, 1600 yards. And then, I mean, Alvin Kamara... Obviously, Jameer Gibbs is going to get up to this number at 81 receptions that season and then also got up to 1,400 yards in that season too. So like, it, it's going to be in a slightly different way. And Dago, I think the big takeaway that you are alluding to is when this team gets in five, inside the five-yard line, they will no longer just sub in David Montgomery anymore. Yeah. They trust Jameer Gibbs more, but I still expect the rest of the way to get more touchdowns from David Montgomery in that area than maybe this game showed, if that makes sense. That's that's fair because the first series when Gibbs was put into the goal line was not shocking because to me, it was a reward your player carry. You got us down there with a 30-plus yard explosive play. They trust both now is kind of yes. what I'm saying. You now get the carry. But as you mentioned, when he had four consecutive touches inside the 10-yard line in the next series, I was like, yeah. oh, this is not something I expected at all. Yeah.
my final answer this is a full-blown competition and the person that performs better will get more once we head into the playoffs or getting down the stretch it's we're rotating drives whoever's better will just finish the season as the guy interesting you also on the other side point three definitely lost quentin johnston in this one because you in a game where keenan allen and gerald everter injured the routes and johnston yet again leads the team in routes run as he did against the jets you take your 10 percent target share and you take your touchdown and you get away immediately because buddy if that's the best as it gets in a dream spot good luck the rest of the way i'm glad you brought this up because there are actually three penalties that quentin johnson drew some of them oh, were like okay. the coverage was off balance and so he like pulled it but two of those were catchable balls that quentin johnson like had extended hands one could have been an 84 yard touchdown that yes they were kind of difficult they were away from your frame but if quentin johnson just catches those then his day looks incredible yes they were penalties so they don't count in the box score but so that's a positive but then the also negative is we still haven't gotten like a great play from Quentin Johnson yet. You know, his touchdown was heavy play action, boom, he, or it's a rollout, he's wide open, right? Um, there was also a, a another catch that he had inside of the 10-yard line or inside the red zone to move the chains. Mm-hmm. So we haven't gotten like that standout moment of individual effort. There were opportunities from those from QJ today when they definitely needed it. Again, a, an injured Keenan Allen, and we still didn't see it. I mean, this is a first round pick. I, I feel like we're being very kind here, to be honest. First round pick. Oh, I I'm I agree that we are being kind. I just wanted to add some context to there were also penalties on top no, of that. No, yeah, I get you. Now, I, among I, first round wide receivers and even second round wide receivers like Josh Downs that we have seen right. this year, uh, at least he's better than Jonathan Mingo. Let's put it and, that way. And I think my point, Hayden, is that I shook it off <laughs> yeah. against the Jets. No one gets there against the Jets, so I everyone was panicking. I didn't care. It's like, who cares? It's the Jets defense. They stop everyone. But like this one, in that perfect situation, to still get that usage and then have these things add up, that's worrisome for me. Yeah, if there was more Chargers fans, it, it would be on more people's <laughs> radars. Commanders versus Seahawks. Daigle, heading into the day, we all said that this was the matchup for Geno Smith. This was the time, and it felt like we didn't get it going until the second half for Geno Smith, who does end 31 of 47 for 369 yards and two touchdowns. And again, does lead a game-winning drive in the end, but it certainly was not pretty, and I lost a few fingernails because of it. If you watched the first half of this one and then saw the final score in Geno's box score, you would think, how did he get there? It was more like, Death by a thousand paper cuts, or in this case, 47 pass attempts and his most passing yards in any start under Pete Carroll to date. And it's a lot of the same thing that's what happens to opposing quarterbacks against the commanders at Sam House frisky enough and he gets enough volume and leading the league in dropbacks per game that they'll always allow the opposing offense in. And even in this one, only five first half carries for Washington. It just ran through Sam Howe. And then you also say, okay, Geno Smith has been bad enough. Spor- I shouldn't say bad, sporadic enough where you ask these eight turnovers he's had the last month, how do we get rid of that? And in this one, at least, a lot more carries from two and three tight end sets, which is why you see Colby Parkinson and others pop up here for tight end targets because they were using more bulk packages and personnel. And then also some more play action. And this one in particular, Gino went six of eight for 98 yards and a touchdown from play action. Fast forward to 
closer to the end because that's where it became really exciting beyond a 64-yard touchdown screen to Kenneth Walker, um, a, a massive touchdown pass to Brian Robinson, who was really just a make-something-happen play. Sam Howell scrambled to his left and found Robinson over the linebacker, and Robinson just rushed it in in the first quarter. But Smith, with five and a half minutes remaining, threw it high and far left to Metcalf on fourth and five. You just thought the game was over, and it was a tie game at that point, giving the commanders back the ball. But the officials called contact on cornerback Benjamin St. Juice before the pass even arrived, and so the Seahawks were rewarded a first down. And that's when it really kicked into gear for Geno, because even on the next play, a five-yard touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett, who we also thought we'd lost for the game because Emmanuel Forbes comes over in the first half and hits him helmet-to-helmet. It was nasty. I really thought Lockett was going to be out for the game, but he managed to return and make this massive play. But Hal and the commanders aren't done. Uh, Hal completed a pass to Terry McLaurin on the next drive for a first down, and then on third and 10 with Bobby Wagner blitzing up the middle in a zone blitz, Hal scrambles around long enough to find Diami Brown streaking wide open over the middle for a 35-yard touchdown. And that tied the game at 26-all with 52 seconds left. And again, Gino to this point, had been making plays, but not big plays. It really only started happening these last two possessions, including with 38 seconds left at his own 31-yard line. He did complete a third down pass to DK Metcalf again, and then out of timeouts, found Metcalf over the middle, who basically just dragged his cornerback to the 25-yard line with 17 seconds left. Gino scrambles up to his center, lets the clock tick, t- tick down to three seconds, and then just spikes it really quick for the Seahawks to escape with a 29-26 win. Gino in those last two drives alone when he stepped up. Nine of 11 for 100 yards and a touchdown. So got it done when he needed to. Yeah, I mean, obviously the big play was the Kenneth Walker one where he had to make a couple guys miss, and that was the big reason why he got home. But yeah, it was a gutsy win for the Seahawks. It should not have been this close like you guys have been mentioning and they needed the explosive plays. They've had some troubles in the red area again. Um, and that's why they're kicking some, some field goals in this one. Um, but the commanders, I mean, their defense is really bad. Like they'll be bottom oh. three, bottom five in most categories for the rest of the season. So I would like to see a little bit more consistency from this offense, but ultimately they get a win here. They're w- walking into a wild card spot. Most definitely. And at least we have, a good, we can see how somebody like DK Metcalf could eventually maybe be a wide receiver one. Uh, it's been this close. And to be fair, it was the same Geno when the commanders actually played good defense because under pressure, Geno went two of nine for seven yards. He was still miserable. The point is, though, that the commanders just haven't got there on either Mac Jones or Geno this week. Right. The phrase that you just used for Quentin Johnson of, hey, take it and run, I feel like that with Geno Smith. Like, after watching I this agree. game. I, I don't want to start him a single time the rest of the season. Like what this was probably his only game that he's going to finish as a top 12, top 13 quarterback this season outside of maybe one more game. And based on this and despite his team scoring 29 points, I don't know if he can repeat it because I don't want to dive too much into, Oh, are we going to get the same Gino from last season into this year? It's just not running as pure. It's not running as hot. They had the same red zone issues last year. And so they were living off, you know, 20 plus yard touchdowns in a way. And so that can be like a, you know, a a tough tightrope to walk when your quarterback will stare down the barrel of a gun, will stare down pressure and stick to the pocket and try to throw lasers into difficult coverage. And sometimes those work and sometimes they don't. And I think I enjoy watching a quarterback who does that. 
but it's just not going to equal fantasy success as often as it could and often as it should, probably. And it's also frustrating because, as you mentioned, Hayden, for DK, it's sort of a trickle down from Geno because the regression numbers, that's something we keep citing since last year. Like, even yes. DK Metcalf averages most targets per game for his career. Um, he led the league in end zone targets for more than any other player last year. So we were citing this offseason, the regression will happen. But again, since he returned from injury, he leads the league in end zone targets. A big game today, but it still lacks the pop. It lacks the ceiling mm -hmm. play. So I, I wonder, because of this passing game lacking its ceiling, I just wonder if it's something that won't come to fruition eventually for DK. How did uh, Sam Howell look? I'm looking at it. He had a uh, pressure rate of 42%, but only took three sacks, which is impressive. Right. And at the context around that, the commanders have put multiple starting off its linemen on injured reserve, and his sack numbers have gone down, which is pretty impressive. He's... It, it's so weird because he's the Jesse Pinkman meme and that you think he can't keep, keep getting away with it. But every time you look up, he makes something happen. And I never know how it's a lot of scrambling. It's a lot of what looks like errant throws, but even that Diami Brown play at the end to tie the game, he's the one who has to extend the play and he's the one who has to find them in the middle of the field. So it, it's, it's, he's just good enough, honestly. And now he's been a top six quarterback for fantasy yeah. in four of his last five starts. Like yeah. it's the volume, it's him. It's kind of everything clicking. Are we seeing the 2023 version of the Jameis 30 and 30 season in a way? Like I know that the sack numbers are down, but this is a team that is four and six. And mm -hmm. the eye test for Sam Howell is like really hit or miss. Like one drive. Good. Oh, even, yeah. even like at the end. Bad throw, then threads the needle to Diami Brown for the touchdown, like back-to-back -back throws. Um, but for fantasy, close your eyes and you get, like Daniel just said, a top six quarterback in four of the last five weeks. But there's another game, 75% of their series started with a pass. So they've been yeah. right there with the Bengals leading the league in neutral pass rate. And that's how he's been getting it done. And we should expect it because the defense, like I said, is so awful. And now they're passing the ball at these rates. So Hopefully this wide receiver rotation could chill out, you know, just a little bit so we can have some consistency from those guys. It makes me wonder about Eric Bieniemy because, I mean, Ron Rivera is so out now that they have right. a new owner and they're not going to make the playoffs unless they go on this crazy run. It makes me wonder about Eric Bieniemy because he's doing a lot of these things right, but then some things that do frustrate us. Uh, speaking of frustrating me, after what we gotten from Jahan Dotson the last two weeks, now he gets two targets, zero for zero, when Sam Howell throws for 312 yards and 44 attempts. And he led the commanders in routes run. So if you want to be even more frustrated, just know he was out there. Curtis Samuel did come back. But yes, nothing on two targets today. I mean, Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson are the team's leading receivers today. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell if they were trolling or not, but somebody from NFL Network who they have access to next-gen stats said that Jahan Dotson ran like 1,200 yards in this game and <laughs> wasn't in the box score. This is so different than what we saw from Eric Bieniemy early on in terms of passing charts, look how condensed that is closer yep. to the line of scrimmage versus those long developing. And again, Logan Thomas underneath stuff. Uh, Dago, we have to stop talking about this game in a second. I did want to ask, uh, let's bring it back a week ago where you and others were so excited about Pete Carroll talking up Zach Charbonnet in his press conferences. What was the split like today? Because what I see is 19 carries, 63 yards for KW3. And then also that one touchdown catch for 64 yards. And then Zach Charbonnet, he was in for that final drive and finishes with six carries, 44 yards, and four catches for 18 yards. 
And he did have five targets to Walker's two. Walker, as we mentioned earlier, did get there because of the big 64-yard touchdown catch. But honestly, it's still just a lot more Kenneth Walker. Even with even with Charbonnet popping up for 10 touches today, they still lean on Walker in the exact situations you would expect. Um, so honestly, just like no takeaways, really. You need that explosive touchdown from Kenneth Walker. But given the landscape of the running back position, like on his usage, it's totally fine. It's a consecutive game, really, where Charbonnet was not involved enough, and he's more of a nuisance than anything. I didn't love that he was still in, on the two-minute drill. Charbonnet took Caught that pass in the flats and decided instead of chose violence instead of the sideline. I mean, he almost did it. He he almost did it again too. Yeah, close. (laughs) I was screaming. Hey, you you need one of those guys. They might have won because of the uplift he gave them with the violence that he shows. You know, Giants versus Cowboys. Cowboys forty nine, Giants seventeen. Hayden, our biggest fear entering a game where a team was projected for this many points compared to their opponents is who wouldn't get home? Well, Dak Prescott, 404 yards, four touchdowns at interception. Brandon Cooks and CeeDee Lamb, both over 150 yards in a score. And once again, Tony Pollard sits there with 55 yards and is outrushed by Rico Dowdle, 79 yeah. yards and six. I'm this close to admitting that Rico Dowdle's better. I, I mean, I don't know <laughs> what to say here. It's It's so insane. I mean, Tony Pollard was stuffed multiple times at the goal line and then obviously they would run a play action and Jake Ferguson scores a touchdown here but just to zoom out to show you wh- how crazy of a game this was this was the seventh biggest yardage difference in NFL history it was the biggest yardage difference in a game uh since 1979 this was I mean a complete bloodbath and the Giants were only getting some garbage time yards at the very end of this game Dak Prescott was sensational once again this is I think his third straight game with at least 300 yards and multiple touchdowns. And it was the deep passing and it was just a light show going over the middle of the field. It was, it it was technically just a bunch of things. I mean, he did not miss beyond 10 (laughs) yards like CJ Stroud. I will say that Um, this was a game going into it where the giants were really bad in the secondary and playing a lot of man coverage and who shows up to the table when it's that it's CD lamb starts the game off with a one handed grab. You just end up losing track of all these CeeDee Lamb receptions because every single time they, they would throw the ball, it would be a first down. Even Brandon Cooks was beating these corners on the perimeter as well. So it was a just ridiculous game. Shows the firepower when Dak Prescott is playing well, but also just how bad this Giants team is. There's just no star players on the defense. We don't even have to talk about the offense because truly none of them matters with Tommy DeVito. They've basically given up on the season. The Giants now have the second overall pick if the draft ended today. And that's only going to go one direction. That's either going to be first or second overall, which means Daniel Jones, you're probably out of the picture because there's no way they're going to go back to Daniel Jones if Drake May or Caleb Williams is being there. So once the Cardinals, that was kind of a big turning point for the NFL draft picture. But there was one play we wanted to just give credit to because most people had already turned this game off because it was like, what, like 30 to zero. Dak Prescott took an absolute shot. 340 pound defensive tackle up the middle. Dak Prescott is staying in the pocket and delivers an absolutely beautiful pass to, I believe it was Brandon Cooks down the field. I mean, he got absolutely lit up. I'm sure his ribs are on backwards. It was just an absolutely perfect pass. And Dak Prescott right now with the MVP picture, like completely muddled. Nobody's truly Mm -hmm. sticking out. He's at least in the discussion. 
There's been so many up and down games. They still can't play a normal game, but a lot of the times they can't play normal games because Dak Prescott has three three touchdowns and what? How many quarterback one overall finishes does he have this year? This is what three or four of them. In his last four starts, since you said yes, the Giants are bad, but let's back it up and add more context. Over the last month for Dak Prescott, a league high seventy percent completion rate a league-high 9.3 yards per attempt, a league-high 12 passing touchdowns to go with 29.8 fantasy points per game. Not only that, but the Tony Pollard argument is so old because people don't realize in these last four games, the Cowboys are passing at the league's sixth-highest pass play rate with a two-score lead. Even they are ignoring their running backs. So why the hell aren't you? It's also kind of funny that Pollard had three carries inside the five-yard line for no touchdowns. Rico Delta has one for one touchdown. Uh, mm -hmm. just to add on to the pain. But this is Dak's team, and it's very clear. It runs through Dak, CD, and then whoever the hell's Prescott wants to throw to. Yeah, this is another game where CD Lamb looked. This this version of CD Lamb is way better than last year's version of CD Lamb, just it, like watching them on tape. You know why? Because in his last three games out of the bye, he's a 50-50 player. They finally, I don't mm -hmm. know why it took till what, is this the final year of his rookie deal and mm. week eight? But he's finally a boundary and slot wide receiver. They move him all over for the first time in his career, and it's clear what happens when they do that. Not to derail this conversation, but I did just want to bring up just what a crap situation Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka are in because they did such a great job making chicken salad last year out of a bunch of mediocre pieces, mm -hmm. you know? And play calls that try to elevate those pieces and like win on the edges and the fringes of games, which they did in one score games. And then this year they're into it. Offensive line is a wreck that never gets healthy. Quarterback gets injured. Then he comes back, gets injured again, along with the backup quarterback. So like, yes, they are two and eight. I feel like they never got a chance to play the style of offense that they wanted to with, you know, the Darren Wallers and the Jalen Hyatts and the Darius Slaytons and all that. And I personally would hate it if Dayball and Kafka were let go after the season for, to me, one of the worst runs and bad injury luck seasons that we have seen in quite some time. Because I actually feel like these guys can coach. And I understand that Giants fans might disagree with that. But I think we just can look at last year and what they wanted to be this year and understand that it's not working because, to me, they're not bad coaches. It's not working because of, again, awful injury luck. I completely agree with that statement. The only thing I will add to this, uh, number one, Andrew Thomas left on the cart in this one again. So we'll see how severe that injury is. And there was some fighting between the players and the coaches and all that stuff on the sideline here. So you... I mean, it was such, like, a dramatic game. Like, it was just... It was, like, an embarrassing game. Like, quite a bit. It, it was, was like D1 versus D2. Um, it was Sterling Shepard and, and Darius Slayton who got into a, oh. a shouting match on the sideline. Also, it, it's, you know, you have to zoom out in these situations because everyone always jumps to conclusions. But Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are still the player or still the pieces I want in charge of Caleb Williams because that's where you're heading towards since the Bears are at least competing. They'll bring Justin Fields back and more importantly, like the Cardinals. The Cardinals will keep competing because they have to showcase Kyler Murray because organizations will undoubtedly trade for Kyler mm -hmm. Fields and this offseason, Daniel Jones. They will take on those contracts. There will be some team out there to do it. The team's not winning another game this year. <laughs> Absolutely not. Saints versus Vikings. The Vikings are 6-4 and four on the season, beating the New Orleans Saints 
27 to 19. Before I do anything about this game, I just want to shout out, speaking of coaching, Kevin O'Connell can freaking coach, okay? Like, you lose Justin Jefferson, the best wide receiver in the league. Shortly after that, you lose your quarterback that you have built your play calling around in a certain style for the season with a torn Achilles. Then last week, when you can't even coach the quarterback, somehow you win that game. And then now he comes out with, I'm not going to say an entirely new playbook, but when you have someone, Kirk Cousins versus Joshua Dobbs, he was already in one week able to highlight the strengths of Joshua Dobbs game in terms of we saw some quarterback runs, quarterback reads, exiting his mobility and getting him out in space. And that to me is the epitome, the epitome of coaching. And sure, it all happened in the first half because they were winning, you know, 24 to three at halftime and only scored three more points the rest of the way. And Joshua, Josh Dobbs did not look great in the second half, but that's okay because he had controlled chaos in the first half, 44 yards, one scramble score, and then also 23 of 34 for 268 yards and a touchdown against a really solid New Orleans Saints defense. Yes, they lost Marshawn Lattimore for a bit, and they have lost a few other pieces along the way. But TJ Hawkinson was unbelievable today. I will pull up his receiving chart. It is C.D. Lamb-esque in terms of a guy that was used all over the field for a player heading into Sunday, heading into week 10, we get a report that uh, he might be 50-50. He might not play. And even in the game, he was folded in half, taking huge hit after huge hit, off and on, in and out, and he finishes the day. 15 targets, 11 receptions, 134 yards, and one score. He's also uh, a tight end. Remember, before this week, they just didn't use him deep at all. And just so to see that route tree and him all over the field is quite shocking. Uh, 44% target share from Josh Dobbs now the past two weeks. Uh, Dobbs, who, remember, also targeted Arizona's tight ends at the second highest rate in the league when he was there. They, he just doesn't go anywhere else. And you mentioned some of those plays he made. Man, in the first half, watching him, uh, the big scramble on third down, that touchdown, uh, the big throw he had to TJ Hawkinson down the right side of the field, the scrambling touchdown. I mean, he looked awesome in the first half. Yeah, th- this was his best throw, I felt. It was right over the safety in 56, in between, you know, the two cover two safeties in between 28 and six, puts it right on the money, and boom, in there for a touchdown. Um, what? 12.6 and 10.3 rushing points the past two weeks. For the Vikings, like you said, Kevin O'Connell figured it out. It, it really is. Uh, there are a couple injury pieces that we do need to discuss here. First, on the Viking side, Alexander Madison leaves with a concussion. It was deemed. Um, but even before that, Ty Chandler was getting run in the second quarter. Again, he was part of that quarterback run uh, game that the Vikings started to feature. Uh, they kept Ty Chandler in for inside the five-yard line opportunities and series and he ends that with a wildcat touchdown meaning he had a rushing score this season before alexander madison had a rushing score and heading into the week um kevin o'connell mentioned that we would probably give ty chandler you know cam Akers role the juice that he brings in comparison to alexander madison which now again with a mobile quarterback on top of it is important i think that this is now something that needs to be featured a bit more often. And it probably will be next week because we have seen players rarely come back from concussions 
in a one week sample. And we even got Kenny Wangwu in there for like one or two touches. Hey, and his burst and his explosion just stood out. I'm not saying that Alexander Madison's like an awful running back because we have seen in, you know, running back handcuff usages in past seasons, he runs with power. But again, that explosion plus finish runs that Ty Chandler brings. Um, he also had a 29 yard touchdown wiped away with a penalty on the right tackle. So I'm excited that we might get a Ty Chandler week coming up. We also might get Justin Jefferson weeks coming up, but this was the first time where all the reports seemed very optimistic to see where he was going to be back either this next week or uh, sometime uh, on week 12. I believe they have a week 13 by there and try to bring him back before that, which would be good news. I will say as somebody that loves Jordan Addison, I think right now is a beautiful time to thank him for his services as a rookie, try to trade him away because I don't think that Dobbs because he runs so much, he's not going to be able to support three guys and, Daigle's had all the the tight end target share numbers with him. Once Jefferson comes back, I don't think Jordan Addison's going to be very startable. Chandler had to be added in, similar to how the Saints have had to take Derek Carr off the field inside the red zone the past few weeks in place of Taysom Hill because on nine carries inside the 10-yard line this year, Alexander Madison has totaled negative four rushing yards. Yep. You can't use him because he's not explosive enough in that condensed area of the field. Thus, the Chandler usage, because Chandler is 85th percentile athlete with 98th percentile straight line speed, who does comp to uh, Tevin Coleman and Jamal Charles for his explosiveness at his size. They also, like you mentioned, Josh, they were using him before. They had eight carries apiece. That's 50-50 yep. usage, basically, before Madison got injured. So excited to see him more moving forward. Yeah, I bring this up and felt like I did multiple times last week, Hayden, but there are players, again, starting in week 10 that we need to like keep on our radar as, hey, they might shift fancy landscapes towards the end of the season. We talked about Keaton Mitchell. Ty Chandler might be one of those names too. Absolutely. because, you, And I, I love how you just outlined the differences just in pure passing volume with Joshua Dobbs in terms of Kirk Cousins, who is getting you know, 40, 45 routes run for wide receivers, all that type of stuff. I'm with you on Jordan Addison. Probably now is the time to sell. On the opposite end, Derek Carr leaves on a cart. Um, there was a period he threw a ball, and as his arm was extended, uh, I believe it was Danell Hunter tackles him and drives him into the ground. Uh, then Jameis Winston comes in, and we got the full Jameis experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, on one of his first drives, a pass was tipped, looked like, and it was called intercepted, and goes incomplete. And then that drive ends with a Chris Olave back pylon circus grab. Chris Olave didn't have a single target or catch in the first half of this game until Jameis Winston, I think, came in. And then he had two straight and really got involved on the way to six receptions, 94 yards, and a score. Uh, also, Michael Thomas left very early on in this game. And it wasn't Rashid Shahid who got the huge bump in playtime in two wide receiver sets. A.T. Perry came in who was what a fifth or sixth round rookie wide receiver but yeah they prefer size obviously in that spot um and so he was the one who stepped in but i believe michael thomas might be okay moving forward we'll see the two touchdown passes to at perry and then to chris olave no other quarterbacks are even trying <laughs> to throw those passes which we of course love to see because this offense despite having like a lot of play volume and like multiple guys been getting home has been not very fun to watch I thought it was notable that whenever Michael Thomas went out, Rashid Shahid finished the game with a 20.9% target share from Jameis Winston. But as you mentioned, a bye week coming up. So we just don't know if both Thomas and Carr will be back in a couple weeks. 
And I, again, I, I pointed out that the Vikings only scored three points in the second half. So the game only finished in, by an eight point difference. Jameis had three chances at a, you know, one score game to lead the Saints back. And it finished punt, interception, interception. So again, it's like the full Jameis Winston experience that people want to see. But the Saints are five and five. I'm sure they want to make the playoffs. And they probably, from what we know about Dennis Allen and company, don't want the roller coaster. That is Jameis, even though it does help us with the Chris Olave stuff. We did have less Taysom Hill usage, and I haven't watched this game, but my theory going into this and why I thought this was possible is just because the Vi the defense that the Vikings run kind of eliminates that type of gadget type of player just because of how complicated. I think they were also losing by a ton. And that too. On no, it's 24 to three at halftime. Right. So I think that the Taysom Hill runs aren't going to score you points in a way. For sure. But – I wouldn't drop him going into the bye week. I would hold on to him. He still to oh. me would be a top 10 guy with upside down the stretch, even if there is a quarterback change. Titans versus Buccaneers. Baker Mayfield, the Buccaneers stay afloat in the NFC South, four and five on the season, winning this game 20 to six. Uh, on the other end, Will Levis, 19 of 39, 199, four sacks taken and an interception. Uh, Daigle, Todd Bowles' defense for a very long time had struggled. It certainly seems like they got back on the right track against the second-round rookie. Which you can do against this Titans offensive line. And that's kind of the issue because being under pressure has been Will Leff's issue today. Two of eight under pressure. And now on the season, these last three weeks, 41% completion rate for four and a half yards per attempt went under duress. And it's not getting any better behind this offensive line. Levis did open the game four of four. But they, the Titans scored three points the same way they scored their other field goal on fourth and goal situations, basically just not going for it and taking the points instead. So they got there in the end. And this game, honestly, was pretty ugly. It's just riddled with, I can't even count the number of tips, dropped interceptions, and 50-50 balls that could have gone either direction that mm. Will Levis tossed in this one. Still the same old, like, scrambling back, back foot launch. Obviously, arm talent here, but man, under pressure, he just got wrecked today. Uh, the Bucks get there ultimately with a 46-yard screen touchdown to Rashad White, who continues to be very bad on the ground. It's the same thing that happened last week. He just fell forward for two goal line touchdowns. But again, when you handle, in this case, 22 of 27 backfield touches, not to mention you have a double-digit target share in every game since week two, you're going to get there because you have multiple outs, especially when no one's coming for your job. And that's kind of what happened again today. Baker Mayfield just passed it to the left, as you're seeing on the screen, and Rashad White beat everyone because he is still a 95th percentile athlete with no competition behind a bad offensive line. So you're getting all the touches. You're going to get there. Mike Evans was really the big story here. He had an entire career and the third quarter alone. Like <laughs> Baker Mayfield underthrew him for what could have been a 50-yard touchdown pass, but Evans had to come back and catch it and fall to the ground instead for a 40-yard gain rather than scoring a touchdown. Then from inside the five-yard line, he beats his guy from the slot in the middle of the field, and he gets wide open. Baker hits his hands, and Evans drops it. I mean, it is the it is the most easiest drop you'll ever see a first-round Hall of Famer like ever make. It is insane. The Bucks have to kick the field goal. Then on their next possession, it's another explosive gain, a 25-yard pass, and then Mike Evans drags his defender on the next throw, 22 yards, over the goal line to finally score that touchdown, which was his 87th career TD, tying Andre Reed for the 16th most in NFL history. So that was pretty much the story of the day. 
Chris Godwin was rumored or had an illness beforehand, but still closed this one, leading the team in routes run with a 21% target share. So still got there, but all the explosive plays went to Evans in this one. I'm used to that. Mike Evans is just way better than Chris Godwin is at this point. Uh, I will say the most, the, the drop that is always in my mind the most is the Mike Evans drop from last year or two years ago over the middle of the field where he was wide open for like a 70 yard touchdown. <laughs> and then this one was right there. So he loses his brain for like a half of a second, but he's still it, so good, man. The announcer said he was celebrating early. He, I thought he just looked to their sideline because since he caught over the middle of the field, I thought he was trying to watch for a defender coming in mm -hmm. to try, try and take him out. And he turns his head to look and that's when the ball hit his hands and just fell forward. But again, he got there on the next series. So it's okay. No complaining. So so another example of just how long the season is, um, took this from our great friend Lord Reeves back on October 18th. Okay. Back then Rashad white was third among running backs in running a route at 70% of dropbacks, but he was 22nd among all running backs and targets and 34 in yards per route run. Okay. There have been four games since that time in those four games, Six receptions for 65 yards, seven receptions for 70 yards, four receptions for 46 yards. Then today, two receptions for 47 and a touchdown. So it's basically, hey, first half, not involved, even though he's a good receiver. Now in these last four, I don't know if it was something from Dave Canales or, or what, but obviously Rashad White at Arizona State and during his NFL career has been his best in the passing game and utilizing his strengths in those areas. It's just been a tale of two halves of the season for him so far in that area. Next Gen Stats tweeted out that Rashad White's number one of all running backs in receiving yards over expected. So, and that's how he was used at Arizona State. So, I think I might have been too harsh on Rashad White at points, like on this show. What I need to do is like he sh he shouldn't have this like between full role. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if he if we got rid of that and gave it to somebody else, and he was just this like rotational guy, he would be pretty good at that role. So, uh, what? good for him. Whereas Singletary got there against the league's worst rushing defense in the Bengals, like literally allowing a league mm -hmm. high rate of 10 yard runs, which is why I'm excited to see Gus Edwards and Keaton Mitchell on Thursday night. They'll probably burn it to the ground. Uh, if Rashad White played the Bengals, like I don't, I don't think he'd get there behind this offensive line. Like it's pretty yeah. consistently less than 60 rushing yards, but that pass catching role is just too good to ignore. What's the panic meter on just like on Will Levis with DeAndre Hopkins. And then obviously with Derrick Henry, like is he, a starting level quarterback we think moving forward is it just gonna be so inconsistent you're gonna have to live with the down games what is it isn't it pretty tough to to understand dago or like try to wrap your head around because i i'm not saying excuses but reasons why he might suffer or not perform well are evident and they're most evident behind this titans offensive line like i know one of those third and goal situations todd bowles isolated 370 pound vita vea next to left tackle Andre Dillard because he knows that Dillard can never, ever handle a bull rush. And so you put your nose tackle next to your left tackle on the edge and he runs him over straight into the quarterback. So like, I feel like teams are going to put their best pass rusher against the Titans worst offensive lineman in crucial second and third down situations. And then it's up to Will Levis to try to make something work quickly. And that is kind of an, unwinnable situation at times the glass half full and while you're not backing away from levison super flex lead and deandre hopkins is one it's still a team i target share today 21 percent of targets for deandre hopkins he's still leading the team in targets from levis these last three weeks and more importantly for the passing game the next month of the season the jaguars the panthers the colts and the dolphins 
That's how you get there down the stretch if you have Hopkins from Levis. Packers versus Steelers. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers are six and three. Mike Tomlin. He's got to be coach of the year. Uh, the odds a, don't I mean, represent how, it. No, 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 no. How can you be coach of the year when your offense looks like this? <laughs> what? 14 of 23, 126 yards. taken. Are you serious? I understand what the Steelers are doing. I did not watch a single second, and I'm thrilled I did not watch this game on this glorious Sunday of football. But what this team is doing is limping into the playoffs and getting there, and it's just an immediate first-round exit. And so if that's what you want your season to be, which, Mike Tomlin, credit to you, you consistently make chicken salad out of things that should not be, right? But, man, there is a cap ceiling to this team right now, and I don't want to watch them. I don't want to watch them. I mean, even Deontay caught one pass. How? How? And and even then, you could say, like, okay, well, Deontay Johnson dipped 18% target share, which tied for the team high. But also, that just means for George Pickens, like, although he tied for that team high mark, now in his last three games with Deontay, hasn't reached 20% target share in any game. Whereas, again, he was averaging a 28% target share without Deontay Johnson. There's just, like, no hope here. Well, I, I could spin this thing the other way, that the Packers' run defense is so awful, and teams yeah. facing the Packers are choosing to run the ball at the highest rate in the league. Like, 60% of neutral situation plays against Packers are runs, which would be, like, basically, like, the Titans' offense. Um, so. And they were very effective doing that. So, I mean, well, Jalen and Najee combined for over 200 yards yeah. in, in this one. So maybe that's why they weren't even trying because they knew they could get consistent production against this run defense that's been terrible my entire life. I hear you, but if this was just a one-game result... No, of course. Yeah, no, of course. Because, I mean, all this, we get 126 yeah. passing yards, 160 passing yards, 17 completions for 230 yards, 18 completions for 224 yards. Look between the hashes. You can't even see a dot between Not the hashes. Not even a single dot. So, again, I, I understand every team isn't going to win the Super Bowl, right? And I actually think the people who are, like, Super Bowl or bust have the wrong idea because... Even in fan bases, you just want your team to be watchable every single week. You want your team to win. You like going to the playoffs, but not this way. You know, I even think Steelers fans will watch this Matt Canada offense and be like, what are we doing? This can only take us so far because it is not striving for success. It's delaying the inevitable, in my opinion. Jalen Warren, it's not just today either. In the last three games, he's handled over 40% of the team's running back carries in each of them. He's now the RB32 in points per game. He's kind of sneaking up there as like a flex option for bye weeks just because he's so explosive mm -hmm. as long as he reached double-digit touches, which they're obviously comfortable with him handling because that's just another way to hide Kenny Pickett. Jordan Love did try a bunch of explosive passes here today. That still leaves us with Christian Watson, seven targets, two receptions, 23 yards. I believe one of these interceptions was also in the direction of Christian Watson. Um, he is much more high variance, as you are learning this year, than the run that he went on last year with Aaron Rodgers and perfectly placed passes. And I think you're seeing it even more now because despite his size and despite his athleticism that we love, he's not very good in contested situations. Like he doesn't go up to the catch point very strong. And so again, now you have a high variance wide receiver attached to a high variance quarterback, and that's going to lead to success 
like 20% of the time it feels like right now. I think and, I think Watson's like a number two, like in just in the league. Like I don't think he's like a true number one receiver, even if you have the yards per route run from. The I think Martavis Bryant is like the perfect example of him. Right. Yeah, I think it's fair. It, it's not his fault either. Like a lot of these receivers, it, it's I still think it's all Jordan Love personally, but but we are seeing it because remember last year in the four, he played those eight games that we considered his breakout from week ten against the Cowboys on. And in the four he caught a touchdown in, he averaged 22.9 fantasy points per game. And the other, he did not catch a touchdown, speaking to high variance, he was the wide receiver 57 in points per game. So basically what we're seeing is that when you have worse quarterback play and you're not scoring touchdowns, uh, yeah. you and that's that's how you provide fantasy points. That's your only out to providing fantasy points. It's a dangerous roller coaster you're playing. Right, and you're only running routes in certain areas of the field. Yeah. like. You are not a target commander. You are not an intermediate or manufactured touches. It's if the vertical stuff doesn't hit, you're not hitting. And that is a tough life to live uh, for fantasy football drafters. For the Packers backfield too, uh, you'll see that it's 17 to 10 in favor of Aaron Jones over over AJ Dillon. But uh, this is why we also use shares and just not raw numbers all the time because his 63% share of backfield touches, Aaron Jones, it's still tied for the season mark with season high mark with last week's share. So I still am encouraged about Aaron Jones' usage. Is LaFleur's seat like super hot, kind of hot? I don't think they fire people frequently, you know, like the owner. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, and I think he has done enough, especially like with the contract that Jordan Love signed. They might, I mean, I don't know how many quarterbacks are definitely going to be available this offseason, but, yeah. you know, they, they certainly did not hitch their wagon to Jordan Love where you have to decide between Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love. Yeah, I agree. Colts versus Patriots. Sunday morning, Frankfurt, Germany. Oh, boy. <laughs> we sent them a great one. Gentlemen, the Indianapolis Colts beat the New England Patriots 10 to 6. I will say the Colts are 5 and 5 on the season. And despite all of this, Hayden and I were looking at this prior we went live, Daigle. The Indianapolis Colts have scored 242 points only in the AFC. The Ravens. And the Dolphins have scored more points than that. And that includes this 10-pointer here in Week 10. I don't know how they get it because Jonathan Taylor goes 23 carries for 69 yards and one score. And then Michael Pittman, 8 catches, 84 yards on 12 targets. We did get the change of the guard finally happened here, though. Today, JT, 24 of 25 backfield touches. And now these past two games has outtouched Zach Moss 47 to 8. This is clearly his backfield moving forward, so much so that I, I think we lost Moss even as a flex option for the rest of the season. Yeah, I completely agree there. And then without Downs there, Michael Pittman's like so very clearly yeah. their best option. He was making a couple of diving plays, went up for a couple other passes as well. My takeaway just watching this is Minshew's pocket presence is got to be the worst in the league, man. Like He is scrambling from just completely wide open pocket lanes and just trying to create plays that like had, you can just like, throw the ball. He, he he must put so much stress on that offensive line, but still that offensive line does incredibly well because even when Minshew is just holding on to it and rolling out for absolutely no reason, oftentimes there's still no one around him until it's like a linebacker closing or someone detaching from a blocker. Like this offensive line is still playing at a really high level on top of this. I'm almost bearing the lead here uh, in a game winning drive scenario. The Patriots finally bench Mac Jones mm -hmm. after one of the most miserable red zone interceptions 
you will ever see on a horrifically underthrown ball to Mike Gesicki. Um, this team right now has the number three overall pick. Um, we've talked about it where, you know, and we will talk about it in the moment with the Panthers and then the Giants, those two teams might not win another game. So the Patriots either, if they do, then can be up there for a quarterback. And if not, then you're up there with Marvin Harrison Jr. And either of those outcomes are fantastic. So like stay in this area right now, New England. Keep losing. It's basically them versus the Cardinals and Bears for who's going to end up with Marvin Harrison or better, which is exactly what the Patriots need. Uh, Pop Douglas, he, I mean, it was one of the biggest PPR scams you'll ever see where instead of throwing a Hail Mary, they throw the ball to to freaking Pop Douglas for the PPR scam of the century. Um, But besides that, yeah, I thought Ramondre Stevenson looked really good. Like, like to me, looked very, very good. And maybe at the end of this season, we get Ramondre Stevenson back with that RB1 workload like we saw last season when he actually was scoring some points here. But that was my takeaway. The other bench benchings we've had for Bailey Zappi were because the game was over and there was enough already. This game and- was Bailey Zappi, please win this game because Mac Jones can't. And then he, of course, does the fake spike, throw the ball over the middle, which to me nice. was just as bad of an interception <laughs> as the Mac Jones one Bailey's happy is not the answer either. So I don't think it's a given that Mac Jones is done for the rest of this season, but he is certainly done as a Patriots player moving forward, obviously. And it's still a 34.6% target share for Douglas. So albeit a scam, he has the opportunity and Ramondre. Yeah. It's the second consecutive game with an explosive run. He has looked good, better the past two weeks, but Elliot is still so involved, man. Even today, 15 touches. Like that's why Ramondre, it has to be those explosive plays to get there. And they're still coming too far and few between. Yeah. Well, I will say the two painful pieces for me, one, I think Ramondre over the last three weeks is playing his best football this season. Sure, I agree. Now it, isn't going to hit like it did last year because the Patriots freaking suck. And I mean, last probably, year's Patriots were really bad. Just saying. Were they two and eight? Were they I mean, as this off- bad where they went 27 attempts for 173 yards and two interceptions and five sacks? I think this looks worse than last year. I don't think so. Last year was terrible. This defense is obviously way worse because they have injuries. I mean, that the reason why Gardner Minshew was around and buying time in the pocket is because they don't even have a pass rusher anymore at this point, which is like super rare. Obviously. The other pain point, uh, Hayden, you tweeted out, is um, Alec Pierce traveling 11,659 total yards across 550 offensive snaps this year, the most of any offensive player this season. The man has run the most win sprints in the NFL. Uh, underdog Cardio Club winner, Alec Pierce. And today, one catch, one target, 21 yards. He's converted 2% of his yards running around on the field into actual like NFL yards so, that count the box score. That is, that is, he is averaging right now a yard for every 44 routes. I, I will say, in, in a way, he is helping, you know? Like he does clear things out mm-hmm. versus some sure. other offenses that we see. Um, everything is 10 yards and below. We do get some space creation for the likes of Michael Pittman and Josh Downs to win underneath. So he's doing his job. He's a role player. He's like Calvin Ridley setting things up for Christian Kirk. Exactly. And and Josh Downs, like Hayden said, did come in today with that injury. He was questionable, ended up playing. He did make a really oppressive catch here, an explosive play. I didn't get there in fantasy, but uh, I think he's going to be healthier moving forward. 
All right. Panthers versus Bears. We'll close this one out by dialing it back to Thursday night football. The Tyson Bajant led Chicago Bears improved to three and seven against the team where they also own their number one overall draft pick, 16 to 13. Um, Deontay Foreman, revenge game, actually, like for real, revenge game. Um, 21 carries, 80 yards, and one score. And the opposite end, uh, Bryce Young, 38 attempts, ends in 185 yards. You get a whopping Chuba Hubbard, nine carries for 23 yards. And leading receiver for the Carolina Panthers was a guy who had been on the roster for two days, clearly has the most juice on the team. Really the only run, one vertical route that was open, Michael Strand, one catch for 45 yards. I, I've already posted a full thread on this on Wink's tape on Twitter, uh, looking at all the all 22. The skill position group, I mean, this was this was a tough one for the skill group. I thought the offensive line was like at least serviceable. I thought they they did a little bit more stuff as a coaching staff, but you really can't design anything for this skill group. And then on top of that, can, to we, me, can we dive into the skill group real quick? Yeah, because I, I think like what highlights it perfectly is their screens are going to Adam Thielen. Yeah. This is 33-year-old Adam Thielen, who is a possession receiver. And typically across the league, we see screens going to someone. It can be a starter or it can be a guy who is brought in just occasionally as, hey, these are explosive plays to make. And most of the time this season, these are being featured to Adam Thielen. And it makes no sense because there's no chance those become explosive gains. And then on top of that, for me, Bryce is just not pulling the trigger enough. I, I know they're not going to be catches. I, the, these guys are not going to come down with contested catches. They don't have the speed to make off big plays. But Bryce just does not throw the ball downfield enough. Now, there's multiple times where he had the opportunity. Just like, for example, he only has 14 completions beyond 10 air yards this season. CJ Stroud had nine today. So, like, and obviously the whole situation is completely different, granted, but there's just too many throws where he just turns the ball down and you can't have an explosive play if you don't try. And that goes on the coaching staff. To me, that right. also goes on to Bryce Young because you did trade up to get him and obviously lost DJ Moore on the way. Yeah. You'd been asking for like, just throw it deep. And he did three times in this one. Obviously, one was open to Strand and mm -hmm. he hit him there. Then the Jonathan Mingo one on the last series, Mingo didn't get to the 30-yard launch landing spot which you know potentially would have been a touchdown and the other one they tried to back shoulder because strand got locked up and obviously that one was a, a bit too inside yeah i mean obviously bryce young is not playing well the last two weeks like right. that is super evident but i think the biggest issue right now with carolina is it's just this cycle of everything and like the margin to win is so small because you have zero run game you have the league lead in false starts um you have all of your routes are static down the field like i i can watch and try to explain to all of you what i see in the game but when i see like brian baldinger out there saying that what the hell is this thomas brown frank reich offense supposed to be yeah. when i go and watch um jt o'sullivan every single week say i mean i watch all of his breakdowns i can't tell you how often i hear on panther stuff who was open? Where can you throw it to? Why are these routes stopping five to seven yards down the field? Because if they're static, 
then there's no chance for yards after catch opportunities. It's just, hey, one guy has to create separation or the timing has to be perfect or the decision has to be perfect. And then it's, or else it's not going to be there. And then when you also don't have juice to work down the field at all, like sometimes there just aren't routes beyond seven yards or 10 yards, then the defensive backs are just giggling and just scooting everything Mm -hmm. even closer. So like this just needs an entire reset and totally agree. Bryce Young has not played well the last two weeks, but it's getting to a point where it's just like bad things happening. And when you miss, you know, the Terrace Marshall over route, when you miss the, uh, it, it was a Hayden Hurst pass as well. Like sometimes that is, or like on the first series, they would have punted twice if he doesn't run the ball against man. If you don't make that right decision, like on one time in a three play series, then your team is punting. Cause I don't think there's anything else elevating the group right now. They, they are being more aggressive under Thomas Brown too. Even this week, they're one of only four offenses to pass the ball on 70% of their plays on first and second down. The issue is one their Bryce young was 23rd, 4.9 yards per attempt on first and second down. Not good. And then also now for the entire season, only Tommy DeVito has a lower completion rate under pressure. It's been bad. It probably comes down to, as you said, Josh, there's just nothing explosive. Even if he were to extend the play, there's no one around him to help him. And so now you couple that with him playing poorly, which you're allowed to do. I know CJ Stroud doesn't agree, but you're allowed to play poorly as a rookie. It's just, it's the perfect storm for the worst case scenario. I highly recommend winning some games down the stretch Panthers because you can't have that <laughs> trade also include the rights to Caleb Williams. Yeah, that would have been the number nine overall pick oh, DJ no. Moore uh, and the Caleb potential Williams. number one overall pick. I mean, at, at, at this point, but that, that's not a, I mean, I, mean I, I understand that's always going to be associated to Bryce Young. Right. But that is also a Panthers organizational problem. I would say more so than Bryce Young, because let's not forget this agree. is. You, OK, I think it's, I think everyone sucks. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. that's exactly what I've yeah. been saying this entire conversation, including Bryce. I will say, though, yeah. Scott Fitterer <laughs> heading into this this season said we built the defense. We built the offensive line. All we need to do is place the quarterback into it, and he couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> no, it's bad. Yeah, I agree. If you're tired of the Stroud versus Bryce discourse, I mean, just wait if the Panthers don't win and it becomes Young versus Bo Nix, Michael Penix, uh, Drake May, and Caleb Williams next year. It's It's not getting prettier right now. Yeah, there'll be a lot of it. Uh, the Panthers coming up, by the way, have, you know, just the Dallas Cowboys next. So oh, no big deal. Easy boy. win. Uh, it's Dallas Cowboys and then Tennessee Titans. You basically have to beat the Titans. Yeah. And then like some combination of the Falcons and the Packers. And there's your season. All right. That's going to do it for us. What? This was an awesome show. I really enjoyed doing this one with all of you guys. Um, hopefully you tuning in did the same. Uh, we have another week until Thanksgiving. I'm sure Daigle will talk about his Thanksgiving schedule at some point, too. Ours will be a bit different in a week and a half, but everything is as usual. Go and check out Daigle's waiver column over at 444. There's a link in the description down below for a percentage off on top of that. So you can get your Ty Chandler fix. Right, Diggs? Ty Chandler. We're going to talk about a couple other players as well. Also, behind the scenes, since it's now the time of the year where we're all looking at the holiday schedule, we need to have a talk about New Year's Day. Because there's a show on New Year's. There's a I haven't even, Sunday I on haven't New even Year's Eve. That time. I'm just warning you. Like coming up, we're gonna have to have some talks around the schedule.
you guys can have a New Year's Eve show. I will not have a New Year's Eve show. <laughs> Daigle, it, I, I live my life like one event at a time. Four mile at a time. So, yeah. so the next one is Thanksgiving, and then I will think about Christmas. Okay. And then once Christmas fair. is over, then I think about the next thing. You also I have to that deal with Miami too, Daigle. Or, uh, yeah. That's in the middle of December as well. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, hopefully okay. I can meet you in Miami. I'm still trying. Don't worry. Yes. Anyways, that's it. Thank you all. Hit that subscribe button. We really appreciate the community and uh, what we're growing here. Okay. Up the bell. Thank you, Producer Weeds. We will. Talk to you soon. See you.